Wow. It has been a ride, this episode. We have scheduled and failed to record it at least five times, is my guess. Well, like, my mic broke. When I got a new mic, I sounded like my a serial voice, killer. Like, I did. I sounded like I was the man outside the house and screamed. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then, then I couldn't get it to work on my computer, and now I can't get it. I can't hear anything in my headphones, but you know what? I'm a professional. That's right. We've been doing this for four seasons. I don't need to hear anything. It's fine. You can hear your own voice because you're in your own head. I can hear you and I can hear some, something of me. <laughs> I can hear what you all would hear if I were underwater. Well, you know, what can you do? That's how I always hear it. It's fine. Welcome, everyone, to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I am Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance reader and editor. And listen, I feel like we've really been delivering the goods on these interstitials recently. I agree. All of a sudden, we just really hit our stride with interstitials. I feel like we were just like, you know what? It's We should just do interstitials about tropes that everyone loves. <laughs> yes. And so today, then we decided to go hard or go home on that whole idea. And this is a trope you either, I'll be honest, you either love it or hate it. But I, I think we're really fun. And people are going to listen no matter what. I thought I thought you were going to say you're really trash for it because you are. Oh, like, get in I the am. Bin. I am. Listen, I wallowed around in the dumpster this morning before recording. Oh, yeah. That's, well, I really want to. I want to get to the. I want to know if you finished the book that we were talking about earlier this week. Oh, I did. Okay, so everybody, we're doing boss assistant now. Listen, I know this is a problem. It's a trope. <laughs> I so I give you permission right now if this is not your thing to hate. Listen. Or not listen. How about not listen? No, listen. You should listen. We're funny. It's great. But (laughs) I I give you permission. And I mean, I think the other thing is when you really have your, you know, you're up against a problematic trope, it's, I think it's fine as long as you admit that it's problematic. So we can maybe just like off the top talk about how problematic it is. Well, let's just say it's problematic because like in real life, there is a lot of, well, and in books, there's a lot of power dynamics that go on in this. You could definitely get fired for... You know, by your jerk boss sure. for just because you decide you don't love each other or want to be with each other, which of course never happens in romance novels. Sure. You could absolutely, he should get fired or she should get fired I, if you abso- are saying 100%, yes. an intern <laughs> and he is, yes. say, a partner in a law firm. Sure. These are not great power situations. And, um, but the reality is that it's interesting because I think a lot of us, like, looking back over our lifetime have definitely known people or been people who have been, like, in some sort of, like, workplace hierarchy yes. relationship. And here's what I'll also say. If you are the outsider to that, like, watching it, and you're just like... It's a lot. Don't do it. And then they do it, and it ends badly, and you're like... Now it's bad for all of us. But see, I know all these things are true, but these romance is a fantasy. Yeah. This is one of my favorites. It's a good one because it is. You get to explore all the power bits of it without actually having to live it yourself. It's essentially forced proximity in the office. And I think one of the reasons I really like this trope, everybody knows, is I'm a fan of romance novels where everybody is on page together all the time. And in these books, you're on page together all the time because you're at work all the time. 
And I think that that's another reason why, like at its core, I'm very drawn to this trope is because you have, you're trapped in a telephone booth. Only one person has more power, more authority, right? So it's just like built in really interesting to me, even though I also realize that in real life, it's like an actual nightmare. I think it's important for us to also note that if you are in one of these situations, HR is there. Yeah, but listen. But also HR works for the company, so. HR works for your boss, so you're kind of, (laughs) unless you're the boss, right? I was like, as George the Cat would say, HR is for the boss. Hey, listen. I think in order to have this conversation, (laughs) we have to ground it in real life, and this scholastic publishing thing is bonkers, you guys. We're going to put notes, we're going to put in show Mm -hmm. notes some of the articles about what is going on at Scholastic right now, where the CEO of the company who died just one day uh, ended up leaving all of his shares of the company or most of his shares of the company to his... Mistress, essentially. Well, they weren't. He wasn't married. So he wasn't, she wasn't married. Well, wasn't like, he married? And then he was. He with was her? married, and then he was. Uh, it's complicated, is what yeah. I'll say. It's, but also, like, there are children. This is a family-owned business. He never had a succession plan. Like, and then suddenly, uh, this woman who uh, is now is, is like engaged to another person now. <laughs> like, it's there's a lot. There's a lot. It's fascinating. I'm I try really hard to like not, you know, looky loo at train wrecks, but this is a tough one to look away from. Yeah. I will just say yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely like there are several 10,000 word articles on it and we'll put them all in show notes and you just block out a day to just lose yourself down this rabbit hole. Or you could read these really fun books that we will talk about where you don't actually have to worry about any real-life outcomes of any of these situations at all. Fair. Fair, which is better. So, Jen, why do you like it? Although we will have some queer recommendations, one of the things that's really interesting about this trope is it tends to lean very heavily into patriarchal power dynamics where the man is the the boss and, the uh, you know, a woman is his assistant. That's not always the case, and I actually tried really hard to find some that were not. But just so you know, as we talk about this trope, it it is sort of built into the system. There's like – I just want to say before you start, before you go any further, there is an Andy Christopher book that actually we talked about on a recent episode, Married, mm-hmm. the Married in Vegas, Woke Up Married um, book, where she is the partner and he was an intern in her yeah. office. They do not have that dynamic in the actual book, but um, – If you like that, that'll, like, edge up on this kink. Yeah, well, and I think that's it. It's, like, I hope we'll talk about sort of the ones that, like, really, like, fire my butt, my, you know, make make work for me. But then, like, we'll talk about some that maybe, if you're not into that, will also work for you. So, Mm -hmm. okay, I think there's a couple things. One is, one of the things I really like about this trope, I'm garbage, everybody, like, garbage, is I really love it. No judgment zone. Okay, well, listen, I'm judging myself. Because as I was writing this down, I was like, ooh, yeah. Okay. Almost always, this man has gone through a million assistants. No one can work for him. yes. Right? Yes. (laughs) Oh, he's, like, insufferable and terrible. Yes, right? But also, usually there's a contract. Like a ironclad, you cannot leave me contract. Sure. Or not always, but, like... On some of my favorites, yes, there is. Right. There's some kind of reason Which, that it like, has to be. Why would a terrible person make uh, – well, 
I think I answered the question already, but <laughs> why would you hire an assistant and be like, now you must sign this? Now you must work contract. for me. Yeah, because otherwise you're going to quit like, like everybody else. What if she's else. terrible? Right. Okay. So the forced proximity thing, I think. But yeah, I mean, so I think one of the things about it is to me, that whole like, no one can work, you know, he's terrible to everyone. And then this is the person who has figured out how to make him tick, right? Or figured it's, out what which makes is him like tick. Just the classic alpha. Yeah, pole. of course. Of course. In absolutely in every way. I think it's also, though, one of the things is it's always becomes clear. And look, as a, I hate to be this way, I'm a total know it all, right? As a f- fucking air person who is probably a, a real pain in the ass to be around. This person often is just like, I'm a pain in the ass because I think I know better and this is the way things should be done. And then they have to learn that like, oh, everybody needs help and this person's expertise is actually making my life better and easier. And I think that's good partnership. So I think in the end, I kind of like the sense of them being like, oh, you know, whatever. Now, okay, all that's true. Force proximity, power dynamics, he's always an asshole. But the thing I really love in these books, I didn't really realize it till I was right, and then I was like, okay, is when the assistant has secretly been in love with this person for years and then is finally like, in an act of radical self-care, I must remove myself from this terrible job, this terrible man. I have to quit to save my heart. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, this dummy of a man who is the boss is like, oh, shit. Yeah, how will I ever live without her? Yes. And that's what I want. And I realize that, like, the profile of almost every book that I love, that's really actually the – it's not that it's, like, boss assistant as much as, like, very rarely in life – only in the workplace can you really be like, I'm out of here and go get another job and really be gone. So, right? And I love a- that. Getting gone. Yes. Have <sighs> we talked about West Wing? Yeah. No, before? I don't think. I mean, I, we know you love it, but. Uh, yeah, but you, I, I don't think you've. So there is, for those of you out there who are West Wing, Wing for, for those of you out there who are West Wing fans, there is a moment, like, late in the series where it is clear. So it is clear for the whole series that, like. Donna, Donna, the as- associate chief of staff, I forget what his title is, but sure. Josh Lyman's assistant is just gone for him. Yeah, from, absolutely. Like from the beginning, just wild about him. And finally, finally, she's like strong enough, like she's strong enough to just walk away because he is treating her like garbage. And she leaves without telling him. And gets a temp. Like, there's a White House temp who goes and sits at her desk. And he screams her name out the door the way that he always does. Yeah. And she's not there. And he's like, oh, my God, what have I done? And you, it's that panicked moment of, like, this person who literally is your other half. But part of the joy of it is, you're right, like, the forced proximity of the workplace makes this so intense. And so I think, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about it because although I have done all the setup for, like, he's an asshole, the thing that I really love about this trope is this moment where the, you know, the, again, like with power dynamics, right, this, the boss should have all the power. But when the assistant or the underling says, hey, no, I'm not going to put up with it anymore, I'm leaving, Mm -hmm. that is, like, one of my favorite moments because I love to see people 
stand up for themselves or they're backed into a corner. Now, look, I understand that it's deeply problematic that you have to be subjected to an asshole to stand up for yourself. But that is the thing that I really, I love the like, I'm getting out of here. And then right now what's going to happen? So like, not to be too wonky (laughs) about it, but like also, isn't there a little bit in this, this particular version of boss assistant that's about like sticking it to the man. Like, oh yeah. On top, like layered on t- It's like if you're gonna strip it all away, that's what we're talking about. This kind of like capitalist, like yes. eat the rich feeling. Sure, absolutely. Right. Because here's the person who should have all the power. Mm-hmm. But really, it turns out the person with the power is is the underling, right? Is the underdog, is the, you know, the union organizer. <laughs> so <laughs> So never unions in these books, sadly. More unions in our books. Okay. So I think that's it. It's like that just is really my kink. I fucking love that. I love that dynamic. I love when someone's like, you can't treat me that way anymore. And the other person has to realize like, oh, shit, you're right. I can't treat you that way anymore. Now, I'm going to mention, I'm going to casually mention but not really discuss three books that we've already talked about a lot that have this kind of dynamic, which is Beautiful Bastard by Christina Lauren. Right, lead by Kylie Scott, which I've talked about no fewer than a thousand times, and scoring off the field by Naima Simone. I'm always surprised that we've never talked about Lauren Lane on the podcast because I really love Lauren's books, and I think, you know, sometimes you're looking for just like a really solid romance, like you're yes. looking for a book that like is going to start, have a middle, and have an end, and you're going to enjoy it, and it's just going to happen, right? Yes. Um, and I think Lauren delivers that really every time. And so I want to talk about Huge Deal by Lauren. So um, Listen, Sarah, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say something else. Huge Deal, everybody. Huge Deal. Huge Deal. This is the third book. Now, listen, I listen to these books in audio. Oh, um, interesting, because you're not a big audio I don't really, person. For some reason, I got, like, into, I don't know, I was walking the dog a bunch. And you know what I think I did? I, I got, I subscribed to one of those, um, like, the Audible, like, monthly thing. Oh, Yeah. That were, and so it's a free – these were, like, free Audible original. You know why I did it? Because Kylie Scott had a, like, Audible original. And yeah. I love Kylie, as we all know. And so I immediately subscribed to this. And I, and then I was like, oh, well, I have it for a month, so Perfect. I'll just yeah. listen or whatever. Anyway. So this the series, which is 21 Wall Street, is about, like, hotshot investment bankers. So, you know – that's going to work for you if it's going to work for you. Um, it begins with Hot Asset, and the hero of that book is being investigated by the SEC, which is great. So anyway, the second is Hard Sell, and then the third is Huge Deal. And the three of them, are the heroes, are best friends, and they share an assistant at mm. this investment bank. And the story over the course of the three books is very much like this assistant is so great. And the reason why they share her is because like, she's so perfect in every way and so competent and so fabulous that like, they couldn't decide who got her essentially. And so they share her. So she has to look, this is terrible. She has to be all three of these jerk hotshots, uh, assistants, but whatever. So, um, over the course, this is this is the real, this is the good business <laughs> because over the course of these three books, you see that like Kate, the assistant, is just not for the other two, right? She's young, she's beautiful, she's talented, she's competent, she's 
you know, everything you could want in a partner, but, like, clearly these other two have no, they think of her, like, a, a, a sister or an assistant, right? But right. she's had the hots for <laughs> Kennedy Dawson. That's a good romance Kennedy name, Do- by the way. For, you know, an eternity. And he just has never seen her that way because this is for the mystic pizza lovers in our listenership. <laughs> <laughs> because she's, he's like old New York money and supposed to basically marry old New York money. And she's not that. And so like there's a class conversation having being had here on multiple levels. And then finally she's just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, and so it's really great. And I think part of the reason why it's so great is because I listened to them in order. And so like I had this very the like slow build of like what would happen. So anyway, that's huge deal by Lauren Lane. And I recommend reading the whole series. That a lot, you know what's funny is so I texted about my love of the whole trope I just described, and quite a few people recommended that one. So I, it doesn't surprise me that you wanted to mention it. Okay, I have one called Okay, let me talk to you about how I found this book first, which is I'm assuming everyone out there gets the bookbub romance daily email. And look, you can go really wrong on that thing because you're just like, oh, it's free. I'm going to click. Oh, it's 99 cents. I'm going to click. And then you have, you know, all these books you're really like never going to read. So at some point I instituted a pretty hard and fast rule for myself with BookBub, which was basically like I'm only going to buy books from BookBub that are authors I already know and love or, right, like books I've been kind of wanting to read but I haven't gotten around to. And, oh, look, it's on sale. But every once in a while, I'm like, okay, no, I'm just, I'm drawn into this. This is how it's supposed to work. And there's a book called The Assistant by Ramona Gray. And I was like, The Assistant? That sounds like something I would enjoy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think at that point it was probably like a buck or whatever. So, I clicked on it, and I've got to tell you, I don't think I have ever been so delighted at the I quit scene as I have in this book. Let me tell you what what happens. So Lena is the assistant, and the boss is Aiden Wright. And she – it actually opens up where you think he's – like she's – she's you don't know right away because it essentially starts with them like making out. And you're like, oh, my God, what's happening? And it's her like daydreaming. Like she just cannot stop herself from like daydreaming about him at the office in like really inappropriate ways, right? So every time he looks at her, she like sort of gets like kind of swept away into this daydream where they're like making out. It's really funny. But, you know, he clearly is just like this real cold fish and no one in the office likes him and, you know, you know. Everybody's quit, but she is a professional, so she just puts up with it. And, um, but her dog, okay, listen, trigger warning, right? Content warning, do- her dog dies. And she oh, that's is a brave. Really, that's a brave choice. Right? Her, so her dog has been really sick, and she goes to the vet, and she, the next day, is like, I'm not going into work. I just want to stay home and be sad. Mm-hmm. And she goes in the next day and he is like, I can't believe you're so unprofessional to not show up. And she loses her mind. And she's like, my dog died, you motherfucker. And she like curses him out and quits and storms out. And I was like, hell yes, Lena. And he then shows up the next day at her house and apologizes and is like, I have a dog I love and I'm really sorry. And I'm really sorry that... You couldn't have told me, and like, am I that bad of a boss? And she was like, yeah. Now, 
For romance reasons, he then invites her to go away to his cabin for the weekend to, like, get away. And then, of course, they're trapped there in a snowstorm, and it's all great. But I would say, like, I was, like, it was this great book. I was super into it, and I I think I read the rest of the series. Like, her sister gets a book. But I was really, like, this is, like, the fireworks I want at the beginning of this book is her, like, quitting. Okay. This isn't quite the same kind of quitting because— She's not, like, she's thought he was sexy, obviously. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, obviously, right? Sure. So my other pick, and this one is very short and, like, very delicious. This is Whitney G's Naughty Boss. Um, Whitney G is another person. Someday we'll have to do Friends to Lovers because Whitney G has actually written a great Friends to Lovers book that I love. And, you know, that's rare for me. So, (laughs) um, but, okay, so this is... Epistolary, there or rather, there are there are swaths of this book that are epistolary. So you all know that I love epistolary romance. So I sort of destined to love this. So um, this one is the heroine has this like terrible, horrible boss who like makes her do his chores and like just sends Ugh. him to sends her all over the city to like do stuff that's not related to her bo- her job. And so um, she comes back from like whatever she had to do that day, and she's just put out. And so she writes this absolutely scathing email about how in two months when her contract is up, she is quitting the company and, you know, he can kiss her ass because he's so terrible. And um, she sends it to her best friend. And then, of course, she doesn't send it to her best friend. And he writes her back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's, I mean, listen, that is the business. Because she's horrified. And he's basically like, uh, uh, because in the thing, she's like, and he's hot. And I'm through fantasizing about kissing him because... Now I'm fantasizing about getting the hell out, and he writes a a letter back that's like, oh, really? Let's talk more about your fantasies. (laughs) It's good. It's good. It's also very short. So if you just are looking for something that's quick and yummy, that's that's the one. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Avon Books with Nisha Sharma's newest release, Dating Dr. Dill. Look, this one is so cute. If you love an enemies to lovers romance, if you loved Taming of the Shrew when you were in high school like I did, (laughs) if you love that great movie, what's that movie, Jen? Uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, the hero, Prem, is Dr. Dill. Dill also means heart, so name is destiny here. Well, and he's a cardiologist. Hello. It's perfect. It's perfect. All tied in. And the heroine, Karina, meet on the set of his, like, Local access TV doctor show. <laughs> I love it. Just go with it. It's fine. And they uh, instantly take a hate to each other, a hating to each other. <laughs> and there is, so what's great about this book is like there's this big, big community around them. There are parents who want them to get married and there are siblings who are getting married. And there are these, this like, there's this like team of aunties who are just meddling all the time. And it's really, really fun. It's such a rom-com. One of the things you will love about Nisha's books, of course, is sparkling dialogue, really fun interactions between characters. And of course, it sounds like they make a little bit of a bet. And everybody knows how much we love that. 
We love a sex deal here. We do. So if you are interested, you should check out Dating Dr. Dill, which is available in print, ebook, and in audio. Thanks to Avon Books and Nisha Sharma for sponsoring the show. Do you want to talk about double standards since we're talking about quitting? <laughs> okay, yes. Okay, so listen. I went back. Now, there. okay, I do think there are quite a few old school romances that kind of have this trope, obviously, because this was like a really common in these mm-hmm. 80s books, right? Like, woman in the workplace for the first time. My boss is mm-hmm. an asshole. So I went back and read... Now, listen, I would like to preface this by telling everybody I don't really recommend this. No, this this. is one of those ones where (laughs) we talked about this, though, and, like, this installed some buttons for both of us, this one. Oh, yeah. And it's – you know what's so funny is, like, okay, every romance reader has been reading a long time knows this, which is there are books you kind of read and, like, vaguely remember, and then there are books that as you're rereading them, you're like, I've definitely read this, (laughs) right? I definitely read this 30 years ago. Fine. So the book is Double Standards by Judith Oh, my God. Now, I had had a version (laughs) that had, like, a purple cover with a flower on it, and I I read it Uh until the cover fell off it. Yeah, well, this is some hot stuff. I will also tell you the thing that's really interesting is we talk a lot about pacing. Mm. And, you know, when you read a romance novel from the 90s, like, you really get, especially a contemporary, Mm -hmm. I would say you really get a sense of how different the pacing is. So Lauren is, you know, some young ingenue from some tiny town in Missouri, and she has to go to the big city. That would be Detroit. To get a a job, and her dad has some family connection there that she can get a job, make enough money to, like, send back to support dad who's having a health crisis. So Lauren goes to interview at this job with this, like, distant relative, and it turns out this guy's, like, a real scumbag. And he's like, somebody is trying, you know, my business, you know, enemy, Nick Sinclair, which is a very 90s. very good name. Yeah, very good name. Um, I think has a spy in my in my company. So I want you to go get a job at Nick's company and then just keep an eye out. Send the 20-year-old to corporate espionage school. (laughs) Sure. Why not? And the part that's amazing... Okay, listen. So I'm like reading this and I was like, oh, yeah, Lauren, sure. Great idea. Okay. She's like, like, okay. I I mean, I guess. (laughs) Now, once she goes over to interview at Nick's because she speaks perfect Italian, and even though she was a music major, she's a good secretary, mm-hmm. and they're not they're, – Those they're two not are not mutually assistant. exclusive music majors. We yeah. know that you're very organized, many of you. Yeah, well, anyway, in this book, <laughs> she was like, I don't have a, a prayer of getting a job as a music major, but I can be the secretary. So she ends up getting a job at Nick's at – Nick's, you know, meets Nick under circumstances. He thinks she's, like, a beautiful thing. And then this part's, like, real wild. So she's out on the street. She's about to go back to Missouri to pack up her things when Nick comes by in his Pontiac Trans Am, I swear to fucking God. (laughs) I was like, this is amazing. And was basically like, I'm going to Harbor Springs, which is a beautiful town in northern Michigan, if you've never been there. Um, It's, like, truly gorgeous right on the shores of Lake Michigan. My uncle has a house there. And she – he's like, why don't you come with me for the weekend? And she's like, okay, sure. (laughs) Wait. So she jumps – before or after he takes her to Italian food in a blizzard? Okay. That was right after. They go to the Italian food. This is all – you guys, I haven't read this book in, like – 20 years and 
now, so this is what you're now playing a game. You're, it's as though pretend yes. you're on the phone. We're now on a party line. It's you, us, and you and us. Yes, right? Okay, wait, there's so many okay. amazing things. So he, they go to Harbor Springs, you know, they meet fancy rich people. She doesn't sleep with him the first night, but she does the next night. She's a virgin, she's a but virgin. she thinks she's she thinks she's falling sure. in love with him. And he, well, you know, he does a nice job deflowering rich, her. And he took it's her good to for Italian her. food. Yeah, one that's all it took for about, me. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's like fine. One big difference about books now and then is that like they only had sex once that night. It's not like they had sex eight hundred times in one night because he's you know can just perform all night long. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I, we should really at some point we should get to the bottom of that. But go on. Yes, I, that's like a whole other thing. When did that this change? Part, yeah, I don't know. Also, like wet. Like every woman in a romance novel is like a Niagara Falls <laughs> of fucking lubrication down there, and I'm just like, okay. All right. Anyway, she is like, I think I'm in love with him. Wait, but he doesn't him, know and- she's a virgin. Right. They do it. He figures it out. The next morning, he literally, like, shoes her out the door. He's terrible. And she thinks he's terrible. And she thinks, like, oh, he's just going to call me when he gets back. He's busy. He has work to do. And he she just doesn't ices her him. out. I mean, he is. This is why, you guys. We don't it's, necessarily. This is not a Jen and Sarah pick. <laughs> no. It's just like I read it, but for also oh nostalgia my reasons, gosh! I guess. The moment you started reading it, I was like, "Oh my god!" I remember every page of this book. I remember every page of this book. Like it all came back to me. So oh, she goes way. back, and she, you know what else? She figures out that he's not going to call her, and she's heartbroken. But she's also like, "I have my and pride." And he has a really nice partner, like a like a business partner, yes. who is a delight. So she goes to work for this guy, and then. For romance reasons, it turns out that Nick's business deal needs an Italian translator and the only one in the yep, company. who speaks Italian. No one else in Detroit, in the entire city of Detroit. <laughs> no, is Lauren. And she has to go work for him every afternoon. And then it's like sparks fly. And the part that's amazing is he really literally blew her off. And he's kind of like, great, when are we going to get together again? And she was like, excuse me? No. Yeah. And he is an Oh, Asshole. he's such a jerk. I mean, and not like and a, not like a. No, you sent me an email, and now I'm going to tease you from outside your door. Kind of asshole boss. He like really is terrible to her. He treats her terrible, terribly. Because when it gets to the end, now we're doing a deep dive on this book. I'm doing a deep dive on this book that I haven't read in 20 years. <laughs> but I know exactly what happens because when it gets to the end, he doesn't believe that she's not against him. He really thinks that right. she has gone – like she yeah, has been corporate right. espionaging him. And then he treats her so badly. Yeah. And he throws and her like, out into the snow. He throws her out And she doesn't have a coat. And she has to go snow. to the local Italian place. And he's banned from That's ever only- eating the cannelloni there. <laughs> You guys, listen, I'm not even Listen, gonna, I, that was not hyperbole. That actually happened. <laughs> okay. it That's all true. That's exactly what happened. Here's the part that's also amazing because you were like, okay, remember this weird thing I remembered? Somebody on Twitter was like, is this the one where she puts her tennis shoes in the oven? And I was what? like, it is. Like the tiniest little, she's moving. Congratulations. Whoever that is, you win a prize. Tweet us. She's gonna she's gonna move out and she's like loading stuff in her car and her shoes get wet, but she's intending to drive in them. So she's like, I'm gonna pop them into the oven to dry out. And then like Nick arrives. And do they get on do they to, light on fire? 
No, of course not. Wait, she's just, she's just drying me. out her shoes. Excuse what a strange point of order. detail. I would like to know, <laughs> have any of you ever put your tennis shoes in the oven, to, like, just to dry out? If, just hit us up if that happens. My mom used to put tennis shoes in the dryer. Yeah. Or by the sure. stove, like by the fire. Yeah, but by, not in by the, the radiator. I'm you guys, saying, I really was, feel, I don't, I'm not an expert on ovens or shoes, but I'm <laughs> going to tell you. Seems like a bad that, idea. Um, I wouldn't, I don't recommend it. Jen and Sarah do not no. recommend that part either. Do not recommend. <laughs> no, do not recommend. And you know what is, yeah, it, but I got to tell you, not enough groveling at the end. No. Like, I was like, like one, one to two more chapters of grovel. Listen, 30 years of grovel. I mean, I think there are people who have read that book who are like, uh, he's just ready to come yeah. out now. <laughs> Yes, listen. So, yeah, um, if you've never read a Judith McNaught book, don't start there. No, this is like a 4,000 level. Because <laughs> you have to, I you mean, ha- I think that's know, it. But it's you like, also have to have that button installed already. Like, I don't yes, think a normal yes. 40-year-old human who's well-adjusted and never read these books <laughs> when they were young would read this book and be like, this is top-notch. I think... You have to, which is, by the way, my experience. To, I was like, this is great. Yeah, you have to have had, you know, 20 to 30 years yes. of being conditioned to think this is hot before. <laughs> sure. It's fine. We're working it out with our therapist. That's what I'm trying it's to fine. tell you. It's fine. It's fine. It was a delight to read again, though. And I was literally like, I got to go back and read more of this old shit because it's amazing. All right, so I have two more categories that I want to talk about. Okay. One is, oh, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about Dukakis's Apprentice, which is a Sarah Morgan book. Did you ever read this one? This is a Presents, and it's terrific. Because, you know, we haven't talked about this. yeah. Listen, category romance has this trope locked on lock. Every month, (laughs) there are six Presents books or however many Presents books. Easily four of them have this trope. It's like secret babies, <laughs> this, and sometimes if you're yes. lucky, both. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had a one night stand with my, like, right, one night stand with the Italian billionaire yes, boss. exactly. So I want to talk about Dukakis's Apprentice, which is by Sarah Morgan, who is another person who I think is, like, terrific at writing. She writes really a tremendous um uh, category romance. So again, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, category romances are the short Harlequin category, the short Harlequin books that you find, you know, on the spinner at the barn, at your, at your local B. Dalton. Yes. Because <laughs> that's where everybody sure. gets books now. <laughs> um, anyway, our heroine, Polly Prince, uh, has... Is in it's set in London. She has a family business that has like sunk like a stone, and it's been taken over by the infamously ruthless Damon Dukakis, and um, he's kept her on for romance reasons as sure. uh, as somebody to run her her side of the company, but with the understanding that she doesn't know anything about business clearly, and so she needs to learn from Damon. Which, you know, obviously he's – and this is another example of, like, just a, like, total asshole hero. Except no. when he does the things that asshole heroes do to heroines in this book where he, like, mistreats her or he insults her or he thinks that she's, like, not capable of being a businesswoman because she's a 
too beautiful a woman for whatever reason. Sure. She is like, hey, fuck you. You don't get to talk to me that way. And she stands up to him every single time, every step of the way. And of course he's like, oh, she's nothing like other women. I must, (laughs) I must have her. I must own her. I must, you know, claim her. I must love her forever and ever. Um, Sure. Anyway, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Sarah and I'm a big fan of this book. I think it's one of her best books. And I actually think it's, it's like a, it's a really perfect example of how categories can do this trope better than anyone because they just like put all the gas in the engine and then run it on, you know, 150 miles an hour until the end. For 60,000 words and then then bam, bam, you're done. done. No break. All gas, no breaks. God, I love that. Okay. Here I have... How many more do you have to go, I Sarah? Know. I have. A, I mean, I got a lot. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, like, okay, I don't me have. To I'm keep like, go. I could stop whenever, but I have a okay. few more. I want. I have a few more I want to talk about, and then maybe some more we'll just like yeah. name check. But <clears throat> okay, so I really want to talk about the replacements by Shay Sanders. Now, this one is pretty new. I think this might be a late 2021 release, and um, this one, God, I, it was great. I loved it so. Savannah Dane is the name of our heroine, and she essentially starts out the book. She's married, and she figures out that her husband is cheating on her. And she's essentially, like, her and her husband are really in that, like, kind of rarefied air of, like, black Atlanta society. Like, he's a CEO or something, and she's, like, uh, you know, stay-at-home wife who's been, you you know, like, organizing his parties for him and, you know, essentially doing all that. And she realizes that And I love this. She realizes that he's cheating. She doesn't want to be with him anymore, but she also realizes, like, I've been out of the workforce, and I I could very well get screwed financially, and I like my life. And so what she does is she arranges to get a job with um, this man named Taurus Jackson. Essentially, I can't remember. It's, like, either her father or her husband, like, sets up this (laughs) job for her because she's like, I want to have it essentially, like – in pocket so that, like, when I kick him out, I'll be ready to go. And Taurus is divorced. He um, has a little girl, and, you know, he sort of was like, I married the right woman, and I kind of did what I was supposed to do, but we weren't happy, so now I'm just going to, like, focus and make a million bucks and, like, you know, run my company. And um, he's, like, that jerk that nobody wants to work for, but he, like, is super attracted to her, but also realizes that she has like her ability to like you know he's like you don't even have any experience and she's like f you i've put on all these benefits like i can be your assistant you dumbass right and so it's great like they have great chemistry i think it's a really great example of a romance of people who are like it's you know these are people who have had bad relationships mm-hmm. in the past and they want to move on and um it's really funny i mean it's just like it's really great so that's the replacements by shay sanders mm. So I have two books that I think of as uh, Boss Saves the Heroine, or Boss Saves the Employee, or Boss, which I think is, like, a subset of this trope for sure. Yeah, I was thinking about this, like, when the boss's business is so dangerous that the assistant gets in trouble. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't have one like that. I hate to say it. I think a lot of that mafia stuff maybe kind of plays oh, in that yeah. trope, but I was trying to think of ones that I was like, yeah, I want that, where he's like, oh, no, I've put her in danger. Right. She's in danger because I can't stop <gasps> shooting people on the docks. 
Fine. <laughs> I want it. If you have that, if you guys, yeah, I wasn't able to up. think of those, but if you call want Joanna it, Shoot, me, I want it to. She, she's I, got like I want. 10 books for you lined up. I literally, I'm going to text her immediately. Like when, sh- yes. Okay. Okay. Well, this is not that. This is um, Kathleen O'Reilly's Shaken and Stirred, which um, Kathleen O'Reilly is another um, yeah. category writer who I really, really have loved over the years. I think she's terrific. She wrote a series. Part of why I really like Kathleen's books is because often categories are set in um, small towns, and yeah, these, these are set in New York City. And I think that they are very like. Cons- I think they're very true to the city. Like they feel they feel yeah. appropriate to the city. Um, so this series is called "Those Sexy Old Sullivans," mm-hmm. and can confirm. And confirm. <laughs> the first one is shaken and stirred. And the premise is that Tessa, the bartender, um, at this, she and Gabe, the hero, have been friendly for a long time. And he gives her a job. They open, like, he and his brothers have all opened this jo- this bar. And she's a student and a part-time bartender for him. And um, she gets herself into a situation where she, like, can't, she's not, she can't, She's she doesn't have an apartment. She doesn't have a place to live. And so he's like no problem. You can just live with me. So like, if you like, so this is, if you like boss as roommate, as secretary, like if you like boss roommate worker, this is for you. So she's like, oh, I could never. And he's like, please, it's like, it's upstairs. It's fine. You could totally. And he's, and she's like, okay, fine. But no sex. Like the deal is no touching. We're just friends. We're just going to like live together and work together and have the hots for each other for 216 pages. And this is a Harlequin Blaze. R.I.P. Blaze. So you know, because it's a Harlequin Blaze, that it's hot, hot, hot. Um, and it's really, really fun. It's a really fun book. Um, it actually tackles a piece of this boss secretary thing that like, or boss assistant thing, boss employee thing that, um, you don't always, that is always hinted at, but never quite like often not even not really tackled, which is their coworkers, Tess's coworkers are all like, oh, so now you're fucking the boss. Right, like, sure. And she's like, no, yes. we're not, we're not. And then she's fucking the boss. Oh, God, we are. This episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Piper Rain, authors of Lessons from a One Night Stand. This is the first in their Bailey series. And this book is free and the series is complete. And we know how important that is to romance readers. Lessons from a One Night Stand is extremely appropriate for this week's episode because it features a boss-employee relationship (laughs) in Jen's favorite form. Okay, listen, when you have a one-night stand in a romance, for sure, the next day, that's going to be your new boss. And in this particular case, the hero, who is a teacher, has a one-night stand with the school principal in the back of his Jeep on a drunken night. Listen, I want it so much. I'm going to leave immediately and go read it. If you also like boss-employee relationships— one night stands, fishes out of water, people who are new in town, small town romance, and romance is set in Alaska. <laughs> also, listen, I'm not going to lie. Pretty curious about the mechanics of the backseat of that Jeep. I, I am. I'm sorry. Listen, it's a small. Maybe it's a big Jeep. Oh, sure. Could be a Grand Cherokee instead of a little one. 
<laughs> Lessons from a One Night Stand is available in print, ebook, and in audio. And as a special treat, if you stick around at the end of today's episode, we're going to have the beginning of this book's audiobook available for you to listen to. Enjoy. The ebook right now is free, and you can read the entire series, which we know you're going to want to do. Thanks so much to Piper Rain for sponsoring the episode. Now you had another one? Also by an O'Reilly, but a different O'Reilly. As one So does. I don't know what ever happened to this other O'Reilly, but there is a woman named Jane O'Reilly, and she wrote a book called The Pleasure Principle, which is okay. an erotic romance where the heroine has had a terrible breakup where her boyfriend said, I'm, you're terrible in bed. I mean, this is, I really love the, I love this as a plot setup always, Ooh, right? Yeah, sure. And so she's like, and she has, there is this like legend about her boss that he throws these parties at his mansion in England. And at these parties, people just come and they have sex like all over, the, they're like orgies. And so she decides that she is going to go to one of these parties and essentially, like, figure out, like, watch people and figure out, like, how she is going to get better at sex. Obviously. And, of course, she walks in and he's, like, standing up on high watching this, like, absolute bacchanal downstairs. And he's like, what are you doing? He's pissed. He's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I'm here to learn about sex. And he's like, all right, I'll teach you. <laughs> Oh, and I love I'm that. just like, yup, put it in my veins. <laughs> right in the veins. Just yeah. Right an yeah, IV. <laughs> um, so I like oh. that because that's also like boss in my mind that some somewhere in the neighborhood, it's in the part of the pool where the boss and the employee, the boss saves the employee. Yes. Okay. Well, I have a couple actually. I have one that will work for that. So um, in Taking the Score by Kate Meter, which is an entangled romance, which I consider essentially like a category, right? Um, <laughs> Emma Strickland is essentially spent all her money bailing out her sister's debt, which is, you know, some crazy thing. And so she has a job working in an office for these, you know, there's three books in the series and these three guys own some sort of property management business in Texas. And so she is like works for them during the day, but she can't, she doesn't have enough money because she spent all her money on her sister. So she's also, I think, been um, like working at a strip club. I don't think she's stripping or dancing. Maybe she's just a, I can't re quite remember. But the key is, is that she also doesn't have a place to live. So she and her cat, <laughs> she and her cat have essentially been like squatting at work, right? Like there's some sort of floor that's like no one is using or, a, you know, an empty oh closet. God. And so she is like, okay, I'm just going to live in here. And like none of her clothes fit right because she had to buy a model of the thrift store. He doesn't even pay any attention to her until I think he runs into her at the strip club. You guys, I know this is a quite a plot line. I don't care. And he's basically like, wait, that woman with this banging body is my assistant who wears these frumpy suits to work. What is going mm -hmm. on? And it turns out that one day her cat escapes from the little room and makes it up to his apartment because, of course, his apartment's in the same building. And she and the cat move in with Brody. And honestly, it was great. It's fine. I love it Listen, a lot. perfect. Okay. Yes. I have a great – that leads me to one of mine – 
which is because you we went from sex party to strip club, and now we're going to go straight to, like, sex club, if you don't mind. <laughs> I don't um, mind. Because we're going to go directly to The Raven Prince by Elizabeth Hoyt. Which we have talked to, we have talked about before on the podcast, um, and is absolutely delicious. But this one is about a sort of scarred. It's it's all Elizabeth Hoyt books are a little bit Beauty and the Beast because that's her core yes. story for sure. Um, and he is a scarred Earl who's like grumpy and miserable and can't keep staff because everyone hates him and he's scary and mean. And she is an impoverished widow who needs to needs to make money like to keep her sister and her like maid housekeeper who is like also kind of her mom um mm-hmm. okay like to keep them healthy and alive and so she takes this like absolutely unwanted job as his secretary and man of essentially man of affairs, right? And lives this life with him where, you know, they share desks. Their desks are like next to each other in the library. Mm-hmm. And he is like mean and cruel and like angry with her all the time and cranky. And then slowly they start to like warm to each other. And then he falls for her, but of course he's like too broken and too terrible for her. Like he can't possibly be good enough for her. And so instead of saying to her, like, I am warming to you and you are hot and I would like to marry you and make you my countess, he goes to a sex club to like request a woman who looks like her so that he can just like get it out of his Get it out of his system. Very dear crazy enough. She also feels this way about him, (laughs) and she finds out he is going to Aphrodite's grotto. Excuse (laughs) me, it's perfect. And so she finds the proprietress of Aphrodite's grotto and essentially like masks herself up and dresses in her not frumpy secretary outfits. And uh, puts on, you know, sexy clothes. And then these two have one of the hottest scenes in historical romance together. And it's great. (laughs) I feel like I've read this for sure, but now I'm like, I'm back on my list. I want to say it's Elizabeth Hoyt's debut novel, and it is really Mm. just top-notch. So if you love Beauty and the Beast and workplace romance... This one is for you. Okay. You mentioned a historical, so we can talk about The Duchess Hunt by Lorraine Heath. This is one of her most mm-hmm. recent. And in this one, um, this is we talked about, I think, the first book in this series, Once Upon a Dukedom. This is the second book where Hugh Brinsley Norton mm-hmm. is the Duke of Kingsland, and he is looking for a wife. And what he basically does is he outsources the, he's like, ladies, I'm, I can't be bothered to court any of you. Just write me a letter and, like, give me your resume. And uh, my trusty assistant, Penelope Pettypiece, is going to go ahead and sort through and pick Penelope one of you for me. Penelope Pettypiece. Isn't that a great and Listen, she, of that's course, a good example of a name that is, like, a perfect historical name. 
oh, God, yes, right? It's terrific. Now, the thing that's really interesting is, like, they both have, like, really intense secrets that they are keeping. And it's – I I it was – I really think this is, like, an interesting historical romance, right? Like, her secret ends up being – I mean, like, they both have secrets that are, like, truly shocking that if people found out about them, it could really, like, ruin them. But the way the narration essentially, like – she is, like, obsessed with her secret because she knows how it will harm her. And he is like, yeah, whatever, I'm a duke. Like, and I think the way that that all plays out, the more I think about it, the more I really liked it. So she, of course, is really in love with the duke, but she knows, look, I'm, like, his, you know, secretary. I There's no chance he's a duke. So she's determined to, like, do her job Perfect. and find him a nice girl from this stack of letters, but it doesn't really work out that way. <sighs> I love it. All right, listen, I have another historical, and this is where you start to edge into another interstitial. So I'm just going to mention it and then say, but you know how this season we've been talking about, especially in the interstitials, like how all the, how the romance pool is put together, like what the Venn diagrams are of all of these tropes and how they fit together. And I think if you're talking about workplace romance um, with power dynamics, it's sort of impossible not to, at some point when you're in the historical pool, move into governesses. Yes. Right. Right. Um, because. I was thinking that too, but it's like almost. But then like it peels you away into like a different pool. Have we done governesses? I think we did. Didn't we? Or nannies or something? I don't remember. I don't know. I mean, maybe we just talked about London Hale a lot enough that it felt like we did London. We did governesses. Maybe if you are a historical lover and you want to try more workplace romance in historical, uh, go directly to Diana Quincy's "The Duke Who Ravished Me," um, which is the fourth, the end of her Rebellious Brides series, in which the Duke of Sunderford, Adam Fairfax. Um, is a capital R rake, for those of you who are watching Bridgerton, (laughs) and uh, who has, like, a sex room in his house, complete with a sex swing in his house. And um, one day, unfortunately for him, he inherits two seven-year-old twin girls as wards, and they come with a cantankerous, very stiff upper-lipped governess named Isabel who has many, many secrets, and Adam and Isabel fall wildly in love, and it's romantic, and it has a little bit of a mystery, and also the scene, look, Jen and I are on the record for not liking children in romance novels, but the scene where the girls discover the sex swing and think that it's just an (laughs) indoor swing is chef's kiss. That sounds pretty great. Okay, I have a, I want to like, I want to wrap up here by talking about one of my favorites, and then I'm going to, like, make a list of some other ones because my I have a deep bench here, and I have to talk about some of them. So one of my favorites, actually, which probably I should have talked about at the beginning, is called The Good Assistant by Cynthia Sachs. And this is one of those, like, unrequited oh, ones Cynthia where Sachs. he's – Yeah, me too. And you know what? Like, this is – and it, it's like, okay, I've probably read this book ten times, and I'm telling you, I don't know why it's my favorite, <laughs> right? But because I think – but I think it also has, like, a really strong start where – Trella Grant is the assistant, and she's, like, up going up the elevator with his dry cleaning. He's going to something that that night. And, you know, she just realizes she has this moment where she's like, you know, I, 
I have to, I, I'm tired of being alone, but I can't be with anybody else because I'm obsessed with him. And so that night she like gets them all uh, like dressed and he goes out and he's like, you know, we're going to do work. I'm, I'm going to ignore my date. We're like, you know, just stay on the phone. And um, he's like, by the way, send my office chair back because I hate that new office chair you bought me. And she's like, okay, fine. But she masturbates in the chair and he comes back and catches what? her. And listen, I was like, all of this is wildly inappropriate, but I, I would like but more you're of it. it. I've read this book a million times. It's so great. <sighs> um, a real fan favorite in this, and again, check your content warnings, is a book called Rock Hard by Nalini Singh. Oh, that's a good choice. How did I not think of that? It is a terrific uh-huh. book. And basically, um, Gabriel Bishop is like the new CEO of this company he's going to essentially like uh, i think it's like a department store he's going to turn it around and charlie charlotte is um not his assistant but she like works there and basically is his assistant is constantly making charlie do all the work and he figures it out <laughs> and he is just like really fascinated with her and she is terrified by him she is constantly refers to him as t-rex And it turns out that she has had a very traumatic incident happen in her past. And her fears of men in particular are really grounded in something terrible that happened to her. And he is just so determined to, like, overcome and, like, sort of get through to her and show her that she doesn't have to, like, live in fear. And it's a a book literally if people love. It's so good. Um, Okay. Let me talk about one more Contemporary, which is another Susan Elizabeth Phillips classic, which is Heaven, Texas. I think probably I really imprinted on this one, which is Bobby Tom (laughs) is this ex-football player, and he's going to make a movie in his hometown, and Gracie is essentially hired to be his assistant. Bobby Tom. And again, like, I imprinted so hard on this book, you guys. I can't even tell you. It's amazing. Here's my thing. and Literally no one but her. Can do these names. Oh, yeah. If oh, I yeah. I wrote a Bobby <laughs> I mean, it's so... And you know what, though? The thing that I really like about this book is... I mean, I like... It's funny. It's great. There's so many things about it. But he does not understand her work ethic. And there's this... There's the secret he's keeping from her, which is that he – she's essentially been fired. Like, the movie company cannot really afford to keep her on staff. But he likes having her on staff, so he's, like, arranges to pay her salary, and she doesn't know this because she's like, I'm never going to take anything from him. I just watch everyone in his life take from him, and I don't want to be that way. And it's such a good conflict. It's so delicious. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I mean, I've – read this. I mean, I read this book when it came out in the 90s, and I reread it enough that I'm like, oh, it's really good. So that's another good one. Okay. Do you have any more? Because then I'm going to say one more thing before we wrap up. Uh, No, I'm good. Okay. One of the questions that people asked in my thread was, are there books where the woman is the boss, right? And I did a little bit of a deep dive, some of them. I Like we've talked about before, but I kind of like... And I'm not going to necessarily talk about these books in the same way. I just want to name check them because if you are like, I'm really upset about the power dynamics in these books, then a lot of these books are going to like maybe feel or land a little bit differently to you. Some of them because they don't really just traffic in the same tropes at all, but some just because, you know, it 
they just are going to feel different. So another uh, historical, and I believe we talked about it before when we did epistolary, was My Fair Duchess by Megan Frampton. She inherits a duchy, and she essentially needs her man of affairs to kind of help her, like, figure it out, right? Um, Another historical that just came out is called The Queen's Man by Jess Michaels. He is her long-term secretary in a fictional kingdom. In fact, he's the one who says to her, like, your husband, the king, has died. And then 18 months later, her son, who's the king, is essentially getting ready to disband the monarchy. It's like a Mm -hmm. fictional country. And so she'll never – she won't be an aristocrat anymore, right? And so all of a sudden, maybe there's going to be this potential. They both have been longing for each other for a long time. Um, Another one that is, we talked about, so I'm just going to name check, um, from our best of 2021 list is Careless Whispers by Cynthia Williams, where she essentially is running her dad's tobacco firm. And he is like the, you know, head of, you know, essentially, research and development and they come into conflict. Now she's not really his boss as much as she's the big boss. And then her father like kind of, you know, fucks her over and and fires her and then he takes over. But that like conflict between them where she is the boss and has to figure out like, what does that mean? I think is still a good part of this book. And then finally, um, something to talk about by Meryl Wilsner is I mean, again, if you're like, I cannot read this book with these power dynamics. In this book, it's set in Hollywood. Um, It's the two women fall in love but are basically determined to not start their love affair until they are no longer in this power dynamic relationship. And so the one who is the underling, the assistant, leaves essentially and gets a different job and then – like, they essentially start their affair. So if you're really interested in, like, careful unpacking of the dynamics of what it would mean and, like, the long-term viability of your relationship, perhaps, <laughs> you could check out something to talk about by Meryl Wilstorm. Okay, so that was my you want the lady to be the boss. There you go. Listen, this was great. I also feel like it's it's been a long time since we've done an interstitial where we just name 42 books and spend other people's money. Absolutely quickly as we can. I mean, under an hour. That's, that's all I want. And Do you have you $200 to. to spend? We can spend it for you in under an hour. <laughs> Ooh, good times. Um, I mentioned Bridgerton. We're watching it here. We hope you're all we watching are. it there. I could watch the costumes oh all day. Oh, God. Also, and the... Uh, Kate Sharma, played by the oh most beautiful God. human in the world. Some, the I mean, most she beautiful is the most human, human, most beautiful human in the world. I think it's almost you unreal. You know, I've written a number yeah. of moments in books where heroes are like, "I can't even look at you." It's like looking at the sun. Like, it's yeah. that's how I feel about Simone Ashley all the damn time, but never yes. more so than when she's wearing peacock blue. Like now, I'm just Ugh. kind of like, if I were Simone Ashley, I would call Christian Siriano and I would be like make me <laughs> an entire just every outfit I have just this. this color this is my signature color I will never wear another you know I the the actor Jonathan Bailey who plays Anthony very I, handsome I will admit I was I was kind of like meh it, like generically handsome to me I'm sorry don't That's hate fine. me he is so his acting is so superb in this and they're just the way he manages the 
like the jaw muscle ticking, mm-hmm. right? And oh, the, he knows like, the, the he gets the brief. Oh yeah, I I just really found myself thinking that he and at, at first I wasn't sure. In the first episode, I was like, I could take him or leave him, but I've really been one. No, over he knows entirely. how to play a hero. Yeah, he really does, and that's been great. Also, so, for those of you who love Newton, the dog steals the scene, steals the show. Very big. I'm a big oh, fan. Okay, I haven't. I, maybe I was half watching. Newton has not really done. Well, much he for hasn't me been yet, around very much, but when he is around, I like it. <laughs> anyway, I'm only there five episodes in, you guys. So more to come. More to come. Exactly. We're not gonna. We're just gonna talk about how beautiful everyone is, which you know Look. what is really a thing Bridgerton does so very, beautiful. very well. So beautiful. Anyway, no. that's what's happening in romance this week, everyone. We're reading about inappropriate workplace relationships and watching TV. <laughs> All right, everybody. Read some romances. Thanks again. Tell us what you're thinking. Thanks again this week to Avon Books and Nisha Sharma, author of Dating Dr. Dill, and to Piper Rain, who have sponsored the show. One, Austin. The handsome guy on stage with his jaw hanging wide open, shock and awe in his eyes? That'd be me, Austin Bailey. Eldest brother of the Bailey clan, guardian to my younger siblings, biology teacher extraordinaire, baseball coach, good neighbor, and all-around pretty great guy. Before we dive into the fact that karma just raised its middle finger at me, You should hear how my day began. Today started like every other day. I woke up, got ready, prepared breakfast for my ungrateful twin sisters, Phoenix and Sedona. Then we all hopped into my Jeep to head to school. Of course, Phoenix didn't eat the pancakes. Her exact words, if I remember correctly, were, They taste like cardboard. Can't you just follow the recipe? Sedona ate the pancakes, but as soon as we pulled into the parking lot of Lake Starlight High School, where their seniors, her appreciation for me ended. Park in the back. I don't want to be seen stepping out of this monstrosity. I've learned that there's no pleasing a teenager, especially a female one. No offense, ladies, but her comment still irks me. How is my Jeep embarrassing? It has a snorkel, so when I off-road, I don't have to spend my money on a new engine and can instead afford to buy her whatever new outfit she wants. She should be grateful, thanking me. But she's 17. Pleasing her is impossible. I purposely park in the front row and honk my horn to announce our arrival because pissing off Sedona is one of my top five favorite things to do. I'll miss that come next year. Phoenix's stomach rumbles as she exits the car. Sedona has already raced off to the nearest entrance as if that creepy it clown is following her. I stroll toward the door, reloading my emails on my phone, hoping I receive the response I've been waiting for and that it contains good news. Elijah, my star pitcher, cuts me off. Coach, I need some advice. He runs his fingers through his long hair. How to cut your hair? Come see me. I've got clippers in my office. It's like a contest these days for the kids to see who can grow their hair and look the most unkempt. I don't get the appeal, and Elijah is the worst of them all. No, coach. Becca broke up with me. There's a hitch in his voice, 
His eyes scour the courtyard where most of the kids hang out until the first bell rings. I stuff my phone into the pocket of my jacket. Why? Well... He runs his fingers through his hair again. For the love of God, next season if I'm still here, I'm making a new rule. If your hair covers your eyes, I'm your barber. Of course, then JP's mom will call to complain. She always calls. I think if we change the flavor of the performance drink we give them from strawberry to lime, she'd call. You know the type. She probably still wipes his ass to make sure he did it right. And though I understand that the Andrews family has had its share of heartbreak, she was like that before and after. I push JP's mom out of my head because just the thought of dealing with her will give me a headache. What'd you do? I open the door to the hallway. With it being Monday morning, my fellow teachers nod, gripping their coffee mugs like life vests. A group of three girls lingering around one locker follow Elijah as we head down the hall. I'm not blind. He's kind of a big deal around here, and I can guess what path his teenage hormones led him down. They're tricky fuckers to manage. You know Sarah Piler? Elijah asks in a tentative voice. See? Too bad I can't bet on my players' screw-ups. I wouldn't be working here, that's for sure. I'd be a rich man. I open up the door to my classroom, and Elijah heads in first. Do I know Sarah Piler? Of course I do. She's usually the one in the short skirt with her finger twirling a strand of her hair. The worse her grades are, the more bubblegum she chews while she asks to move to the front row so she can see the smart board better. Sarah would eat up and spit out a kid like Elijah if he ever tried to tangle with her. Yeah, I know Sarah. He sits in the chair next to my desk. There was this dare. Nothing good comes from those. I cross my arms. JP was razzing me about how I've only ever kissed Becca and that when I go to college, we'll break up and how the girls at college are on another level. His eyes widen, silently asking me. I went to college. I played in college. And at one time, I thought maybe I'd hit the majors. Then... Family responsibilities brought me back to Lake Starlight. Now I teach and try to advise kids like Elijah not to make the mistakes I did. Then again, youth is your free pass to do stupid shit. <sighs> girls in college are the girls you went to high school with, but a little older. I sit in my chair, grabbing a pen. He said I'd regret not having experience. My gaze lands on the clock. Elijah has about five minutes before first class bell. I hold up my hand to stop him from rambling. Listen. Elijah's good enough to be drafted first round, and this town can't wait to see him succeed. He'll have plenty of temptation come his way over the years, and he needs to decide now how he's going to handle it. Did you kiss Sarah? I ask. No, but I I'm going to guess here and tell me if I'm wrong. He closes his mouth, so I continue. You let your friends get to you. JP, whose mom probably follows him on dates you do realize, tells you that you don't have enough experience and should kiss another girl. He's nodding and smirking because everyone knows JP's mom will probably put up spy cameras in his dorm room next year. You thought 
hey, what if Becca does break my heart and fall for someone next fall? Where does that leave me? So you went into a bedroom or somewhere private with a very willing Sarah. Then Becca somehow walked in on you right before you finished debating in your head if you were going to kiss her. You see me trying to make it seem like he would never cheat on Becca? Probably bullshit. He's 17. He would have kissed Sarah and blown his relationship with Becca into smithereens and only realized what a mistake that was down the road. Exactly, coach. Now you have to grovel. I checked the clock one more time. Three minutes until first bell. I did. I went to her house. I, I texted her. I stand to let Elijah know he's leaving before my class arrives. Sorry. I smack him on the back. You need to pull out the big guns. His shoulders slump. Just think of what makes Becca happy, why she fell in love with you, and you'll figure it out. How do you know, coach? I open the door and wait for him to walk through. Because I was you at one time. And another piece of advice? He waits for me on the other side of the door. Don't go listening to your friends. They usually give shit advice, and honestly, you usually get a lot more experience with a girlfriend than by flipping around with multiple girls. Teenage boys have shit for brains. Don't listen to them. I really don't want to know how far he's gotten with Becca especially with Phoenix and Sedona being the same age as Elijah. He looks at me sheepishly. Well, we have... Eh, that's a conversation I don't want to hear and no one else should either. Don't be a dick and kiss and tell. The bell rings. Go to class. He turns around. You mean assembly. Assembly? We walk out into the hallway where everyone is filing toward the auditorium. Yeah, remember Principal Miller had the baby? Shit. Now I'm running my fingers through my hair. All the teenage angst had me forgetting that we have to meet the new principal of Lake Starlight High School this morning. The last principal I'll ever be under, because next year I'm heading to the college level. I hope. Yeah, go. You don't want to be late. Thanks, coach. For everything. He jogs down the hall, catching up to his friends. I turn to go through the back entrance since I'll have to sit in a chair in front of all the students so that we can appear as a united front for the new principal, a symbol that says we have their back. I run smack dab into Faye Murphy, the office assistant. Hey, Faye. I'm so happy I found you. She seems a tad flustered, and her face has that beet red overlay she used to get when Principal Miller reprimanded her for not refilling her stapler. Working without that dictator will be a nice change. Let me tell you, pregnant women do not like it when they have to give up coffee, something we all paid the price for. What's up? I keep walking because we're going to be late if we don't hurry. We need you to introduce Principal Radcliffe. She peers behind me, then pushes up on her tiptoes to whisper in my ear, Malcolm, I, I mean, Vice Principal Ely, called in this morning. I think he was still... Faye doesn't have to finish the sentence. Malcolm Ely went through a public divorce last year and has been spending a lot of his time at the Lucky Tavern, drowning in a hell of a lot more than his sorrows. That's why, even though he should have become our temporary principal, the school board decided to hire someone new. Why me? She hands me a piece of paper. 
The kids look up to you, and everyone thinks that the kids will welcome Principal Radcliffe if you introduce her. Her. Another woman. Hopefully this one is well-caffeinated and not pregnant. We'll all stand a better chance that way. I accept the piece of paper, looking over what I need to say. Fine. I'm not scared of public speaking. I've got two teenage girls at home. You don't know a hostile environment until you're trying to break up a fight between those two. You're the best, Austin. Faye squeezes my forearm, then walks down the hall. My footsteps slow as I read over the new principal's bio. What the hell is a Yale graduate doing in Alaska at Lake Starlight High School? After skimming over her education, I fold up the paper. I can wing it from there. Besides, the kids couldn't care less about what's printed on that sheet. Heading into the auditorium, I search out the face of our new principal, but I know everyone here. Her meeting with the superintendent is running a tad late, so if you could stall, I'll tap you on the shoulder when it's safe to announce her, Faye informs me. I'm not a zookeeper. Faye laughs. I will not miss this part of my job next year. Before I realize it, I'm in front of the podium, clearing my throat and introducing myself, as if everyone here doesn't already know who I am. Sedona rolls her eyes and looks away. I have no fucking clue why she's so embarrassed of me. I mean, look at me. Six foot two, two ten, short, neat haircut. I work out four times a week, hike, bike, ski. My muscles aren't from just the gym. Okay, before I keep sounding like a male-seeking-female-want ad, let's get on with how my day went into the shitter in a matter of 20 minutes. I tell a few jokes, and the kids loosen up a bit. Maybe I should rethink the whole college baseball coach thing and go for stand-up comedy. I'm pretty good at this. Faye taps my shoulder, and thank God, because I'm running out of material. I pull the paper out of my back pocket and clear my throat one more time. Uh, All right, everyone. We all know that Principal Miller has left us to enjoy her new baby, so we're welcoming a new principal into our school. Our new principal for the remainder of the year is Dr. Radcliffe. She graduated from Yale with her doctorate in education. She comes here from the lower 48, so make sure you give a big Alaskan welcome. About half the kids in the auditorium clap, while the rest of them stare at the stage with an expression that only a bunch of unimpressed and uninterested teenagers can manage. Time to grab their interest and get them to buy in. Principal Radcliffe's hobbies include streaking during football games, ferret racing, and taking surveys for money. The kids roar with laughter, finally looking as if they're interested and want to be here. Faye steps up and nudges me. Sorry, I mumble. We'll bring Dr. Radcliffe out to explain her hobbies in more depth. I turn from the podium at the sound of heels clicking across the stage. This is the part where my mouth drops open and my testicles jerk up, seeking protection. See the auburn-haired woman walking right toward me? The one who looks as pissed off as Sedona did when I honked my horn in the parking lot this morning? Yeah, that's my new boss the new principal of Lake Starlight High School. I don't believe in kissing and telling, but I'll tell you, this is the first and only principal I've ever given an orgasm to in the back seat of my Jeep. Two, Holly. 
I'm going to kill him, is the first thought that hits my stunned brain. Slowly, since I'm a complete professional, I refuse to let the fact that I slept with the man standing at the mic, staring at me with wide eyes, derail me. So I smile. One that probably does, but hopefully, fingers crossed, does not show how uncomfortable I am. My heels click along the stage, the sound overshadowed by the student's laughter, which was spurred on by this ass of a man holding the microphone. I hadn't regretted the one-night stand that left me panting for more. Until now, if anything, I'd wondered if our paths would cross again and hoped for a repeat performance. Now it's no longer an option. Too bad. He really was a good lay, and I'm happy to report that I did not have my beer goggles on the night we were together. Taking the microphone from his hand, I pretend to be unfazed by his antics. I've dealt with boys like him before. They're usually under the drinking age, though. I'm sorry, I... His face is about as pale as a sack of flour. Thank you, Coach Bailey, right? It'll do him good to think I don't remember him. He licks his lips. Yeah? I pretend that it doesn't spur memories of his magnificently talented tongue. Well, I zoned there for a moment. Cut me some slack. It had been a while since I was properly taken care of. I clear my throat into the microphone, ending the whispers and murmurs from the student body now that Coach Bailey has sat down behind me. He can stare at my ass all he wants. He'll never have it in his palms again. Good morning, everyone. I turn back to Coach Bailey. Thank you for the wonderful introduction and the additions to my bio. I promise to let you do the streaking next time. I give him my best fake smile. Faye, the office assistant's face, is fire engine red as she sneaks a look at Austin, obviously uncomfortable. Facing the students once again, I'm surprised to still have their attention. I'm Principal Radcliffe, and what Coach Bailey didn't tell you is that I'm from Florida, born and raised. I can't believe you guys still have snow on the ground. It's been years since I've seen it. I was a professor at Florida State before taking this job. Why come here? A kid near the back row screams. Everyone laughs. Guess I've watched too many Alaska shows on the Discovery Channel. I earn my own laughs without the help of Coach Bailey. I have my own reasons, but they're not for the student body to know. Thankfully, this job presented itself, and people aren't exactly clamoring to work in Alaska, so getting this job was easier than I would have thought. I want each of you to know that I have an open-door policy. Although I'm only here for the remainder of the school year, since Principal Miller will be returning next year, I hope to get familiar with each of you. For you seniors, I'm making it my commitment to meet with each of you to talk about your future and what path you see yourself headed down. I know most of you will have probably chosen your school or maybe you're weighing your options, but I think I can help you understand what the expectations will be once you reach post-secondary education and help you with what, for some, is a difficult transition. Groans and more mumbling sound from the students. I mean, maybe one of you wants to take surveys for money, if that's the case, I would be the go-to person for advice. I turn to face the man whose good looks still make my heart beat uncontrollably. Right, Coach Bailey? The auditorium fills with laughter. He smiles, leaning back in his chair, one leg resting on his knee. Bastard thinks he's the king of this school. He's about to be struck from his pedestal. Well, I'm sure you all want to get on with your day. Please remember, my door's open, always. Have a nice day. Faye rushes up to the microphone, taking over to instruct the students to head to first period in a single file line. She snaps at one kid roughhousing with his friend. 
I totally underestimated her, I'm happy to see. A few of the teachers approach, introducing themselves before heading off to their classrooms. But Coach Bailey lingers, obviously waiting for me. The auditorium clears out, and as the custodian, Kip, I think, stacks the chairs, Coach Bailey finally approaches me. Holly. He says my name as though he knows me. Okay, so he kind of does. But knowing I have a racing stripe under my panties is not the same thing as knowing me. Hello, Austin, right? He smirks, biting the inside of his cheek. Yeah. Nice to see you again. Thank you for that humorous introduction. Really got the kid's attention. He stuffs his hands in his pockets and rocks back on his heels. Yeah, sorry. I just thought it could use some spicing up. So you won't mind if I send you my resume? You know, since I need to look for another job after Principal Miller returns, maybe you can spice that up too. He laughs, his smirk growing. All right, I deserve that. Truce? Do most women give in so quickly, Austin? I cross my arms, my blazer pulling on my shoulders. His gaze floats down my body, concentrating on my breasts for a few moments. Then he meets my gaze again. Most times. You did on Saturday. I'm clenching my jaw so hard my teeth might turn to dust, but I ignore his reference to Saturday night. That's a pity then, because all is not forgiven here. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to head to my office and get some work done. I spin on my heel and head off the stage. Holly, hold up. He jogs to catch up to me and lightly grasps my elbow. Yes. I flick my gaze to where he holds my arm, and he drops his hand. I just, I don't want to start out on the wrong foot. I do apologize for ambushing your bio. I really am sorry. Now he knows he can't railroad me. It was a hard lesson for me to learn in life, not to please people by constantly accepting apologies that hold no weight. Thank you, I appreciate it. I'm sure I'll see you around the halls. I walk down the row of chairs until I'm safely in the hallway, at which point I suck in a breath. Am I really going to have to work with him day after day until the end of the school year? I bet you're happy you're not me right now. I would be. I'm not in my office for five minutes before my cell phone rings on my desk. My mom's name flashes on the screen. Damn it, I need this right now like I need a yeast infection. Hey, mom, I answer, sitting down in my desk chair. Ouch. My teeth dig into my bottom lip as I inhale quickly from the stabbing pain centered on my tailbone. I guess Alaskan high schools don't have the budgets for comfortable office chairs that colleges do. Good afternoon, or I guess morning for you. She laughs. I was checking in to see how you're settling in. Well, remember I started my new job today? Oh, that's right. You should have called this morning to remind me. You know that phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? Yeah, that doesn't apply to my mother and me. She's laid back and believes everything takes care of itself. And I do not. I had a lot to do, I say. You always do. What's that supposed to mean? I tap my pen on my desk in agitation. I swear that a mother's ability to say only three words and still get under her daughter's skin is a special talent bestowed by the heavens. Nothing, sweetie. How's the weather in Oregon? Cold? Now you know. I lied to my mother. I know, I know, but I do have my reasons. I cross my fingers. Yeah, good thing we went shopping for that winter coat you told me to buy. Told you. You should listen to me more often. I did raise you. I ignore her taunt. How are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm heading into the restaurant for the lunch service. I miss you. The hardest part of coming here was leaving my mom. That and lying about it. But she doesn't always understand why I have to do the things I do. And I don't want to hurt her. I miss you too. How about we Skype during the bachelor tomorrow night? I ask, dropping my pen on my desk. Perfect. You make a pizza and I'll make one. It'll be just like we're together. A knock sounds on my office door, and I glance over to see Faye standing there. It's a date then. Have a great day, Mom. You too, sweetie. Love you. Love you. I hang up, guilt eating away at my stomach. What she doesn't know is best in this case. In a few months, I'll be back in Florida and she'll never be the wiser. I wave Faye in. I'm sorry, Principal Radcliffe, but please call me Holly. Principal Miller said that shows a lack of respect for authority. God bless this sweet woman's heart. I insist. Call me Holly. Okay. I hate to interrupt, but Coach Bailey has asked to be penciled into your schedule. You have an opening during fourth period, and he has a break as well. I wanted to make sure that was okay. I never want her to feel afraid of me, so I smile sweetly. Of course. Please pencil him in. I say that while thinking that he needs to stay the hell away from me with his sexy smile and tall, strong build. I could grab Faye by the lapels of her silk jacket donned with shoulder pads and scream in her face. Do you have any idea how magical his fingers are? How cave, Faye? How much is one woman supposed to resist? But I'm a professional, so I'm not going to do that. Great, I'll stick him in then. Visions of when Austin stuck it in me come to mind, and I feel my face heat. She smiles and shuts the door when she leaves my office. If I wasn't in a fishbowl in the middle of the front office, I'd let my forehead fall onto my desk. So far today, I've been humiliated in front of my new school, stood face to face with a guy I let finger fuck me on Saturday night, in his Jeep, no less, and lied to my mother, again. This move is working out exceptionally well. What more could a girl ask for?